0: Jeff Bezos can suck a dick.
1: Hola y bienvenidos <laughs> al podcast. Conoces a tu Soy Elliot.
0: Je m'appelle Audrey. Je ne parle pas espagnol. Je parle français.
1: Bienvenue. This is the podcast where we ignore the conventional wisdom. To, to never... speak
0: English, it's America.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> thoroughly ignore it. Wait, oui. And also the conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes. Instead, get to know what big linguist your heroes really were.
0: Mm-hmm. So many languages. So many. Language of love. All the love languages, really. Quality time, acts of service touching whatever that one is Is (laughs) it's not mine is that one of them (laughs) uh physical touch is one of them oh my yeah physical touch i mean acts of services gifts that's another one Do you know that i like presents and when you sweep the floor yes feel so loved
1: uh another one russian (laughs) no is that one of them
0: that's a language for sure yeah a love language I don't know. It's not even technically a romantic language or a romance language. So it feels like it falls out of the purview of love language.
1: So then maybe we're if young Klingon.
0: Yes. Dothraki, though.
1: <laughs> Doth- there you go.
0: <laughs> That's the one.
1: Man, I can tell you, as somebody who never watched that show, it sounds like the last season really sucked.
0: Sure. Yeah. I only know Dothraki is a language and this is very honestly entirely 100% true because Dwight Schrute <laughs> yes. teaches Aaron Hannan in like season 9 of The Office how to sp- how to speak Dothraki. And
1: you know what? It's a love language.
0: <laughs> it is a love language. She does it to impress Andy's family. And
1: it works. Eh. It It was done out of love, at least. It
0: was. Inspired by love, much like this podcast. Much like
1: speaking of this podcast, mhm. This is the podcast. Where each week, one of us has to do the work, and this week it was not me. It was not you. So <laughs> the question remains, Audrey, who was our hero this week?
0: Sure. I just I just want to actually point out that um, I would much prefer to do this research mm-hmm. for a few hours than water balloons from our balcony with our child for hours, the, which is what you did in exchange for the research which time. Which is,
1: by the way, a great trade. I'd make that trade any day.
0: There we go. There we go. We each... We each have our own, you know, special niche in this world. You,
1: deliberate, very concentrated research efforts to shape this content. Mm -hmm. Me, just picking off runners unsuspectingly and then ducking behind (laughs) the banister.
0: There you go. That's the one. Anyway, so our hero this week.
1: So Audrey, who was our hero this Mm -hmm. week?
0: We've done a few episodes That we have. Several. Um, Sure. The last few episodes could easily be seen as uh, a sort of attack on conservative-leaning individuals, right?
1: I'm not conceding this.
0: And they were. They were conservative-leaning individuals, and they were also attacks on them. Not because of their politics, but because of their behavior. Anyway, (laughs) I decided to pick someone who was very much on the other end of the uh, spectrum. And I'm going to have a lot of caveats, a lot of buffers in this episode to make sure that there are a lot of distinctions between this person and their product and their brand and the values that they um, espouse into the world. But I just, I just felt like it was an opportunity to show that um, everybody's human, everybody's messy. This person was real fucking messy. Disgusting. Disgustingly messy. Hugh Hefner.
1: Hugh Hefner.
0: Mm-hmm. The, yes.
1: The progenitor of Playboy magazine. Mm-hmm. Playboy mansions. hmm Playboy bunnies. Mm-hmm. All around Playboy. Yeah. And then in later years, reality TV star.
0: Yes. That's how I know him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's how we all know him.
0: Apart from that, anything else come to mind?
1: Robes. Rose cigars uh pipe oh was it a pipe that's right pipe um pretty creepy okay uh in the reality tv years for sure just imagine him as like on the cusp of the sexual revolution the one who's there to like sell magazines
0: ushered it in in so many
1: ways help help push it help help bring it to the masses
0: sure speaking of sex um now feels like a really appropriate time to mention for some of our more Sensitive listeners. If,
1: if you are listening with children... Mm-hmm. Then... Stop. <laughs> stop.
0: Stop. <laughs> Just... Oh, my God. Stop.
1: What were you doing?
0: Right. However, this there is... are adults who are uncomfortable with conversations about sex and nudity and adult themes
1: let me tell you this podcast is gonna have so much nudity in it (laughs) so much (laughs) oh man just it is one of the most naked podcasts you'll listen to
0: right i'm definitely not wearing the same sweatpants i've been wearing for a week it's fine it's fine anyway if you're sensitive i don't care
1: one examine that
0: yeah turn this off we don't care about your feelings Mm -hmm. we don't even care about our own feelings we barely have feelings at this point yep we're grown as adults we're gonna talk about sex all right so now that we've done that let's talk about hugh hefner the boring background stuff. Born in Chicago, April 9th, 1926, which makes him in.
1: Oh, wait, wait hold on. Are you going to do it?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm always going to do it. Every time I remember. Last week, it was your week. We did not have Astrology Corner because you didn't do it. Our listeners
1: it's not, are hungry for it's it. It's not Ellie's Astrology Hour.
0: Right. But here we go. He's an Aries. And people born on April 9th.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone born on April 9th.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, everyone, including is what? Hugh Hefner, is an Aries. They have fantastic stamina. They live and love like a whirlwind, possessing an insatiable appetite for all the pleasures of life. Although they love to have a good time, they can also work very hard. Blessed with prodigious energy, originality, and single-minded, single-mindedness, they have a great potential to achieve their ambition. These people have a strong personality and don't like to be in subservient positions. In their professional life, they their understanding of what people need can make them accurate predictors of social trends. They have the ability to turn their ideas into reality, and by doing so, They not only enrich the lives of others, they can also profit themselves. Others are often seduced by their charm, although some find them somewhat excessive. Their fondness for pushing the limits by indulging in physical pleasures can alarm others, especially when their lavish lifestyle attracts those who do not have their best interests at heart.
1: They often frequently found magazines that usher in the sexual revolution in the 1960s United States.
0: At this point, I feel like we have a big enough sample size. This is like five <laughs> times in a row where this website, birthdaypersonalities.com, has been ranked.
1: <laughs> Again, sorry, I had forgotten that we, we went straight to the source.
0: Mm-hmm. April 9th, 26, 1926. Conservative Midwest family. Joined the army when he was 18, served for two years, eventually went to college, graduated with a degree in psychology. And a double minor in creative writing and art.
1: Ooh, look Again, at that. Again,
0: basically my degrees. <laughs> yes, so, yes. that's uncomfortable. Uh, he became a copywriter at Esquire, but in 1952, he asked for a $5 raise and they said no.
1: He's like flipping these tables.
0: He is flipping these tables. At this point, he's like 26, 27. He is all, fuck it. I'm going to launch my own magazine.
1: Over $5. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm going to use these naked pictures from Marilyn Monroe's nude calendar from like four or five years ago that she very explicitly didn't want released, but I have licensed.
1: This started because he somehow got access to the outtakes from this Mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe photo shoot Mm -hmm. that she did not want released. But whoever the copyright holder was somehow got them, licensed them to him. And he printed them.
0: Yes. Marilyn Monroe is a totally different conversation to have. But one of the ways that she initially broke into Hollywood was were through these like um, nude photographs this time of the like pin up, et cetera, et cetera. But at this point, by this time, she was a legitimized actress who who didn't want these previously unsurfaced photos to be made public. Hugh Hefner got a hold of them and was like, this is. The episode or the issue one centerfold.
1: This is going to make me back my $5 raise I didn't get.
0: Yes. The $1,000 I borrowed from my mom. I am going to make this magazine happen and it's going to be with these photographs. Does that. He's like, I'm going to call it Stag Party, which was supposed to be the first name of Playboy. And somebody was like, no, no, no. Before you go to press, don't call it Stag Party because that's fucking weird.
1: It's a terrible name.
0: Call it Playboy. Calls it Playboy. Sells 50000 Issues, 50,000 print copies, the first run. Wildly, immediately successful. Worked out. Okay. 1953, turns out a whole bunch of folks want easy access to soft porn.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, probably more if the internet is any indication. Yes. But they'll yes. take any porn they can get. Right. Frankly.
0: Yes, absolutely. And here's where, before we go any further, I want to make a very clear distinction between Playboy the magazine and the brand, what it is now, all of the things that it like ushered in, whatever moral issue people have with sex and pornography, like this clear distinction between that and Hugh Hefner. Mostly because what consenting adults do with their bodies in exchange for money, exposure, fame, etc. I don't want that to be like intertwined with the terribleness that we will learn is Hugh Hefner's proclivity to exploit people.
1: Not just like those things. Yeah. So we're making the distinction between somebody agreeing to like do whatever it is.
0: It's, It's basically like I would make the same analogy of like I wouldn't really want to shit on Amazon house or warehouse workers, but Jeff Bezos can suck a dick. Right. Because what people do, because all labor is labor, sex work is sex work, whatever people do in order to support themselves for whatever reason, literally does not matter to me. And I think it should be very clear that it is not the same as like exploiting vulnerable people in order to profit from their labor, which is the model for a lot of industries, not just sex work. But I think a a lot of folks could misconstrue the exploiter uh, or like enmesh those exploiters with what people who are offering up their labor provide as a product and say like oh they're exploited this is terrible we need to stop these industries we're like eh. it's the same that goes for like landscaping businesses for <laughs> okay. example sure. like physical yes. labor all labor is labor yes right? as someone who is very supportive of sex work just as an industry and people's right to make decisions professionally i don't want those two things to be mixed up
1: just a quick tangent do you feel then that it would be possible for someone to hire someone for sex work in a non-exploitative way
0: Yes. I think that's totally possible. I think that's happening pretty consistently. I think the more direct-to-consumer platforms there are for sex work, the more that happens. Okay. Fair. Versus there being someone who is the like gatekeeper of that work. There are ways to consciously consume sex work. So, making that clear distinction, half launches Playboy. It basically becomes an overnight success. This is not one of those things like the Major Heroes podcast where you have to produce a whole bunch and then people like slowly get on board and then it like snowballs. This is like, boom, 50,000 copies, the first episode or the first issue. Done. Done. One of the things that actually set Playboy apart from other magazines that were similar to it and that came later that allowed it to have a more prolonged lifespan, to its credit, is that Hugh Hefner actually cared a lot about the content it wasn't just naked women. It was like hard-hitting journalism, naked women, big feature
1: piece. Everybody just read it for the articles.
0: That's the that's the trope, right? Like, yeah. I just read Playboy for the articles. And to be fair, like, that was true for a lot of folks. The naked women were just like a bonus to these hard-hitting, like, Pulitzer Prize-winning articles.
1: Yeah. Just right? to go back, just a callback to last week's episode... John Wayne, the only time somebody really got him on record just asking him like what are your personal beliefs? What are the mm-hmm. things that are going to define your legacy as a as a person in addition to your works as an actor was a Playboy reporter asking mm-hmm. him for one of the interviews.
0: "Quote, unquote, the Playboy interview is revered for its editorial quality, right? Mm-hmm. It was like multi-thousand word pieces with folks like Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Jimmy Carter, like presidents." In some of the earliest editions, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 was actually serialized over a number of months. Oh, I didn't like not that's how it was that. originally published. So there was this editorial content that was interesting to a lot of people. Given how controversial Playboy was, it is no surprise in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that it was met with a lot of resistance from any number of folks across the entire political spectrum, right? Like, family values folks all the way to, like, we're burning our bras feminists.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: Tons of resistance from the, like, anti-smut, pro-family values organizations, as well as, like, live demonstrations outside of Miss America pageants where they, they, like, burned a pile of Playboy magazines.
1: Oh, wait, outside of Miss America pageants?
0: Right, because it's, like, the commodification and objectification of women. All of that meant... Then, and this is still like on the positive side of Hef's, Hef's legacy, it meant that he was a really big proponent of things like free speech, free media, um, pushed very hard to make sure that journalists and media news sources were protected. And this was at a time when there was like a lot of controversial stuff being written, civil rights, feminism, all of those sort of things. Even if he didn't agree with it, he wanted to protect it, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because he needed to protect his magazine. But, sure.
1: Yeah. But if you find yourself on the side of the Pentagon Papers in this yes. time period, great. Good for you.
0: Back up a second. Hugh Hefner died a couple years ago. Wait, S- wait what,
1: what, what was that sound?
0: That's reverse slash uh, uh, dog
1: barking. I was going not the Scooby-Doo theme.
0: We're no, here. it's a, like reversing a record and... Um, cartoon dog barking at the same time. So the cartoon dog is like, come on back. Um, A lot of articles have been published since his death about both all of the ways that Hugh Hefner ushered in all of these positive changes and all of the ways that he was terrible and everywhere in between. So I'm going to read a few quotes from some folks who are in between and on this sort of like more critical side okay one of those people who wrote a really fantastic article is a woman named peggy drexler who after his death noted quote the founder of the of the playboy brand was a media pioneer and an icon of the left an early and very vocal advocate for free speech civil rights and sexual liberation there is no question that as an activist Heff paved the way for open talk about sex and sexuality, giving people permission to admit that they too were sexual beings and enjoyed, or at least wanted to enjoy, sex. In the Playboy clubs he opened in the 1960s, he hired black comics at a time when many clubs were de facto segregated. And meanwhile, as a publisher, he pushed boundaries with articles, the famous articles mm-hmm. that men claim they sought in Playboy, that were groundbreaking. They were investigative pieces by writers like Hunter S. Thompson and interviews with heavyweights like Martin Luther King. And so even for folks who didn't agree, it should be noted that he used his resources in a number of ways to protect journalists, which is super neat.
1: Anytime you can protect the rights of journalists and your rights to... Put tits on a page simultaneously. Mm-hmm. More power to you.
0: Oh, and to make money. Oh, and, and to make money, putting tits on a page. a page.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Great. Right.
0: When they're not your tits. Like if they're your tits and you're putting them out there and you're making money.
1: Hell yeah. Check out my OnlyFans.
0: Yes, please. Please don't start an OnlyFans. <laughs> I know quarantine <laughs> is hard. I'm not talking to you, listeners. Start an OnlyFans if you want. I'm talking to my husband. No one, no one wants to Let's
1: see Listeners, let us know. Send us some <laughs> feedback.
0: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So back to the part of Hef's life that was not as endearing as free press and protecting journalists. Um, So a few years into publishing the magazine, right, that starts in the mid 50s, um, by 1960, Playboy launches the infamous Playboy Clubs. The first, of course, was in Chicago.
1: i you say of course, like I would I would have assumed Las Vegas because that's the most. Famous oh no, one. the
0: the original like half is from Chicago. That's where Playboy was founded. The original Playboy Mansion is in Chicago. I forgot all this. He did not leave Chicago until much later when he moved to LA. Eventually, they're all over the world. They were, unsurprisingly, very well received. Mm-hmm. Just like wildly successful. Do you know anything about these clubs?
1: What I've absorbed from like random pop culture TV references. Uh, there were playboy bunnies, mm-hmm. which were women who were walking around in like bunny ears and body with little bunny tails on them. That's um, what they look like. And I, they were like cocktail waitresses. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like smoky lounges where people played piano, mm-hmm. a pool from generally, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and Hugh Hefner walking around in a bathrobe. That's about all, all I know.
0: Great. That's a lot of it. So that's each a of lot these gloves... Clubs...
1: That's, that's a substance of this business proposition. <laughs> yes. So I'm walking into the bank, and I'm like, okay, here's the idea.
0: Yes. Here's uh, the ladies idea in bunny is, suits. I'm going to sell a lifestyle.
1: But it's sexy bunny suits.
0: And this lifestyle <laughs> has a lounge. So don't mention
1: Donnie Darko. would <laughs> make it fashion.
0: Yes. This lifestyle has very specific formula, and that formula is a lounge... A living room and a bar,
1: sexy bunnies.
0: A dining room and a club room, just and like all also, the rabbits
1: you can imagine. Playboy you fuck them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and those rabbits are going to serve you drinks, and that servitude is actually the cornerstone of the Playboy model and the brand. It was hmm. not just like, "Hey, there's this bar." It's like, "Hey, there's this bar with barely legal girls squeezed into corsets." That make them actually faint oh. in heels so high, some of them break their ankles. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, they're gonna serve you drinks, and it's gonna be real neat. You're gonna love and it, it costs twenty five dollars a year to get a key. You get that key, you come on in. A million people a year buy these keys. Playboy is rolling in twenty five million dollars a year in the sixties and seventies. Wow just to open these clubs. So that servitude from these Playboy bunnies, like I said, was cornerstone to the Playboy experience. It was cornerstone to the club, the brand, the magazine, and very much inextricable from that was Hugh Hefner himself. So he gets his credit for ushering in the sexual revolution, but this sexual revolution was very specific in the type of... Revolution that it ushered in. It was one that was curated exclusively by Hef's preferences. And it was one that catered, again, almost exclusively to straight men's desires.
1: Yeah. And especially if those men since childhood had always had a thing for rabbits that they couldn't quite put their fingers on.
0: Or very skinny white women in costumes made to serve them drinks. Peggy Drexler, the woman that I um, read a quote from earlier, continued in that same piece, quote, The terms of his rebellion undeniably depended on putting women in a second-class role. It was the women, after all, whose sexuality was on display on the covers and in the centerfolds of his magazine, not to mention hanging on his shoulder practically until the day he died. Heff's notion of the freedom to express sexuality translated, translated largely into freedom to express men's desire for women and the fantasy that those women would always be ready and eager to comply. Right. So like, I'm all about whatever sexual revolution, so long as the people who are at the forefront of it, and this is not the puppet masters, these are right, like, the women who are providing a service and a labor are being recognized for it not just the object of it sure and basically heff built his career out of profiting from making women the object of this desire yes Gloria Steinem we all know her she rose to fame by actually going undercover as a playboy bunny do you know the story no all right so early 60s uh, Gloria Steinem is like I am going to make a name for myself and the way I'm going to do this is by becoming a playboy bunny and writing about it and I'm going to expose this entire world because there's got to be more than meets the eye how do you think it goes for
1: I imagine she gets in and it is as degrading as she was expecting
0: worse much worse she talks about from the moment she walked in for her like preliminary interview she is objectified the guard who like opens the door to let her into this interview room is like from from a few hundred feet away saying things like hey bunny 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 hey bunny bunny and like trying to get her to come in for this interview step one get past the creepy security guard step two gets in has this interview the entire time, the interviewer is, like, degrading her from the moment she walks in. They're yeah. like, oh, you're 24? Actually, she was 28, but she, like, made up sure. this yeah. whole persona. Yeah. And they're like, you're 24? That's awfully old to be applying to be a bunny. Oh, and wow. like, Can you take off more of your clothes? Because, like, you d- we're, like we can't tell what your body looks like while yeah, you have yeah. that coat on and yeah. those clothes on. Mm. So she makes it through this interview. They hire her. She talks about how from the moment she starts, they start taking money from her, right? They what? Yes. So they make them, like, spend money to buy the costumes, their own heels. They have to have this, like, full set of makeup, this very specific look. And... They take, like, 50% of all the money they earn up to $30 and then, like, a percentage cut after that. And they have to pay the house $2.50, which is, like, the equivalent of $21 in today's money. Wait, so
1: they're, they're paying money to the house? They're, like, $20 to start the night off and then... Oh, yes. Sh- yeah, so, to be fair, that's
0: also, like, a model, like, strip club model for a lot of women right now who um, are dancers. Like, you pay the house a certain amount... And sometimes there's a the percentage that you pay afterward, but After a lot of the time it's just that, like a yeah. flat rate, like a house fee. But Playboy took it a step further and they were like, You've a house fee and we get half your profits up to thirty bucks, then we're taking a percentage beyond that. So these women were lured in with this idea that they would make like three hundred bucks a week, which is, you know, two thousand or so odd dollars now. But really they ended up most of them pretty consistently, only fifty dollars a week. And that was just because of the the actual like minimum wage laws at the time yikes so it's not great um in addition to then paying the club that was already making 25 million dollars a year in
1: membership fees In
0: membership fees and they're like nickel and diming these women for two dollars and fifty cents a night they also obviously had to keep their body a very specific way and they had to behave a specific way so there's you can still find it online now It's like a 30 page what they call the bunny bible Everything. Thirty can be pages. Thirty pages. Exactly how you stand, your script for responding to men when they say X, Y, and Z. Every single thing was totally controlled, and a lot of this was orchestrated by Hef himself. Right. So he's selling like what his,
1: I, whatever he exactly he wanted.
0: Exactly what he's wanted, and what he wanted was to sell a specific lifestyle. But when what you're selling is a lifestyle that is a byproduct of human behavior, your product is then controlling that human behavior, right? Yes, yes. This is a theme that comes up over and over again, not just from the time that Hef is like 30 running Playboy and this magazine in these clubs. It's all the way up until he's like 90. He gets his reputation for being this forward-thinking, sexual liberator, you know, he fought for things like making birth control available to women and the right for abortion. But women at the time talk about how he did this because it made sex more accessible to men.
1: Yeah. I mean like that's one of the major consequences of sex, right? Yeah. Right.
0: Yes. Yes. So there's this other author who wrote this book called Playboy in the Making of the Good Life in Modern America who says that his support of the pill and abortion was, quote, "...merely serving the best interests of Playboy," which was promoting more sex for women while reducing male responsibility for unwanted pregnancy. Of that time, Hugh Hefner actually said, quote, "...men had prophylactics, rubbers." Which, look, gross. That's the worst (laughs) word for condoms. Just say condom. Men had prophylactics, rubbers. So they had some control over reproduction, although rubbers were mainly supposed to be used to prevent disease, not for birth control. Eh, Oh, Um, And he said, I was never enamored of prophylactics. So the pill permitted the sexual act to be more natural and more loving.
1: Oh, With the
0: thousands of women he had sex with. More loving. Ugh. Gross. What a creep. Um,
1: also, that's just nasty.
0: Right. So he's using these sort of like social agenda tools to control women. Now there's no excuse for you not to have sex. You can't get pregnant. You're, you know, like we have made these things for like available to you, etc. And he is touted as this great lover of women. He's like this liberator, blah, blah, blah. But really... He fucking hated feminists. Hated them so much.
1: I mean, if Gloria Steinem's in there doing exposés from d- day one, from well, not from the jump, then you know he's mm-hmm. got a grudge.
0: He said that the ideal playboy woman was, quote, young, healthy, happy, simple, and not difficult.
1: <laughs> so. All of the things that have.
0: Made me who I am. <laughs> <laughs> made you who you
1: are, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I would not have made it into Playboy.
1: I'm glad. Babe I'm bummer. glad that you finished my sentence there, so I didn't have to say that. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> Nothing if not difficult. Um. Anyway, so around the same time, second wave feminism is really taking off, and to Playboy, half writes, and this is like his editorial board, he writes, quote. These chicks are our natural enemy. Mm. Mm, okay, what I want is a devastating piece that takes down the militant feminists and takes them apart. They are unalterably opposed to the romantic boy-girl society that Playboy promotes.
1: Oh wow! Hmm. he calls it a boy-girl society. Yes,
0: it's <laughs> my favorite part.
1: They are coming after. Her my boy rabbit society that i have crafted so well
0: so they won't let us corset these women in peace take them down yes yes (laughs) um anyway so then playboy goes on this like years-long campaign against feminists
1: which is super neat. So wait, so who who falls in the second wave feminist category that they're going after?
0: So second wave feminism is feminism that started in the 60s and it basically goes, goes until the 80s. So third wave feminism, which is like, quote unquote, modern feminism, is this feminism of the like um, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. But second wave feminism was feminism that said like, hey, um, not only do we not want you to beat the shit out of us and let us vote. We also want to have control over our bodies. We would like to be able to work. We, it's uh, it's that like what we think of now as like the quintessential 60s, 70s bra-burning feminism. There's a lot wrong with it. There's a lot wrong with that feminism because it's...
1: Like the Betty Friedan feminism is yeah. the second wave.
0: Yes. There's a lot right with it, but I just want to clarify that it also is feminism that is centered on the white female experience. Sure, um, and a lot of that's the-, the place
1: where you had an academic outlet and yes. and right yes. access to the kind of like publishing platforms that would like get you recorded and mm-hmm. and established and disseminated in the yes. way that like gives you the term and right. the label.
0: And half and Playboy didn't take issue with the fact that they were totally. Um, all about just like this white female agenda. They just really took issue with the fact that any woman wasn't a um, complicit, eager, enthusiastic sex object. Yeah,
1: we're we're layers in and mm-hmm. there's layers of regret here, but they're the most yes. obvious.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. So the bullshit of all of this that just like really pisses me off is that while he is orchestrating the... These like hit pieces on feminism. He is actually able to sell his magazine and his brand while like saddling it to the idea of feminism, like female empowerment. Like these women are, you know promoting sex and sexuality and, like, sexual puritism. He hitches
1: himself to the progressive, like, you know, gravy train here, as long as it suits him and as long as it's, like, serving his purposes. As
0: long as it performs for the male gaze. This, like, sexual liberation is a thing where he's like, look at these women, they're so happy to be naked and making money. And it's like, yeah, kind of, <laughs> but, like, you're taking most of their money. Like I said, he went out of his way to make sure that the women... That he was, quote unquote, promoting um, and or courting because those two things overlapped a whole lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, behaved a certain way. And if they did not, they were punished for it. Right. So let's talk about these women, how we treated them. Later in life, we know him. You and I know him probably most because of his appearances on Girls Next Door. Yeah. Which was a reality TV show for folks who don't know this, our, our younger listeners. Yeah. In 2008, eight, nine, ten, there was this TV series called Girls Next Door, and it followed the three girlfriends of Hef at the time. Um, and it like, documented their life inside the Playboy Mansion and being his girlfriends, et cetera. But they were really just like the tail end of a string of harems have had over his lifetime. So he always had a head girlfriend, like a number one girlfriend, and then a number of others. And this goes back decades. He was married a couple times. He has a few kids from those marriages. But basically, that never worked out because he wanted to have hordes of women throwing themselves after him. Really hinged his self-esteem on the idea that a very specific type of girl would be in love with him, and he wanted to flaunt that to the world. And
1: but, as a look, yeah, uh, managed to pull it off consistently much later in his life than I would have expected.
0: Yeah, um, and made it seem very glamorous.
1: Yeah, well, glamour- not like not like pulling the ladies based on his looks at some point, clearly.
0: No, but, but was able to maintain at least publicly the
1: outward appearances yes
0: this idea that he had this glamorous life and he wore silk pajamas and had blonde bombshells and corsets following him for his whole life right sure that's the that's the image we have and it's supposed to be very glamorous spoiler it wasn't it was really dark like very dark and very dirty but not like cool dirty, like, <laughs> like that sexy dirty, like fucking dog piss everywhere dirty. Ugh. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> the Rewind Dog uh, wants you to know that the mansion, the Playboy Mansion, started off as this like very romanticized place, right? Sex, glamour, grotto, pool, bathing Rabbits. suits, parties. Rabbits. Enough with the fucking rabbits. Look, it's Nobody's not me. Sex with it's the that
1: me who introduces rabbit kink, all right? <laughs> Look, this is not my idea. I'm just saying, sure. if you're going to make a series of, like, glamorous cocktail waitresses to serve you at your, you know, beck and call...
0: Based then- off of the pattern from your childhood uh, comfort blanket.
1: See? This is what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> if you're anthropomorphizing, ending your life, you're yeah. going to pick, like, the fucking stuffed rabbit on your baby blankets? hmm Like... I just, I just, I just don't want to hang, give up on the fact that like everybody who's there is like deeply engaged in his childhood hang-ups down to his like crib, and mm-hmm. we're just like, oh, it's a Playboy bunny, right? Because rabbits are sexy. No, why? Like pause there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I just, I just can't get past that. If, if I'm gonna play along here and be like, sure, have your sexy rabbits, sir. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's pretend that that's glamorous. Let's pretend like it's not about your baby blankets as a kid. Cool. Your sexy baby blanket toys. Great. Even if I assume that that is in fact glamorous and sexy.
0: Yeah, it wasn't by the time he died. Yes. It was horrible. Some of our listeners might be familiar with his most famous girlfriend. Do you remember her name? Holly? Holly. Yes. So girlfriend number one, Holly Madison. I remember Kendra too. The other one was Bridget.
1: I didn't remember Bridget.
0: Bridget is like, I bake cupcakes. I'm sweet and unassuming. And Kendra's like, you might confuse me for a softball lesbian. (laughs) But then (laughs) Holly was his number one girlfriend, right? She wrote a book Hmm. that does not portray the girlfriend lifestyle in the most glamorous way. Holly is like our primary, primary source into the world of the playboy mansion by the time playboy as a magazine as a brand has peaked and then was sort of like on its downward spiral right Mm -hmm. because it's not the brand now that it was in the 60s 70s 80s since then here's what we know holly was 21 when she got with hef he was in his 70s at the time that um, holly moved in with hef he had seven other girlfriends Seven, but within a year, who has
1: the time? I know. Well,
0: I'll tell you who has the time: someone who makes his girlfriends follow a strict schedule, schedules group sex, and then gives them an allowance and a curfew, and treats them like the children Ugh. or the great grandchildren they could <laughs> yeah, be to that's, him. That's the great, right? yes. minus the group sex. That's not a that's <laughs> not a typical great grandfather behavior. Um, but anyway, within a year, she's promoted to girlfriend number one. All these other women Climbing leave, the and I, I don't want to call them girls. That is actually really demeaning. These women, they sure. are adult women, right, and they deserve to be treated like adult women. She's promoted to main girlfriend on one of their first real dates because she spent time with him for like a year before that, in and out. On one of their first real dates, he hands her a bunch of qualudes wrapped in this like damp tissue oh and he was like do you like quaaludes and she takes them and he calls her a good girl for taking them and then he talks about how quaaludes for a long time have been called thigh openers
1: oh man so
0: this is this man in his 70s drugging a 21 year old yeah right she lives with him for six years during which time she follows all the rules she's girlfriend number one She later goes on to, like, document this very strict routine. So she talks about how the house was just, like, covered in pee stains because he had nine dogs. Oh. There was this, like, very strict routine where the girls were women. Let me say women were required to attend club nights on Wednesdays and Friday, followed by a buffet dinner and movie night on Saturday and a pool party on Sunday and... Um, When they did get time off, which was very rare, they had a curfew to be back at the mansion by 9 p.m.
1: Wait, a curfew Mm -hmm. at at your job? Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: these are women that he These are the like women that he quote unquote loves the most that he controls and manipulates and says like, hey,
1: quote unquote, your job is to be my girlfriend now.
0: Yes. Oh, speaking of it being a job, he also gave them a thousand dollars a week allowance
1: Yeah. So, okay, just the fact that, like, you're being paid 50 grand a year, which nothing to sneeze at. There's a lot of jobs that pay less that, you know, in terms of indignities, this is pretty high up there. But, like, you're approaching the trade off.
0: Yeah. Speaking of indignities, every week to get their one thousand dollar allowance, they had to go visit him in his room where he would give them his critiques of the week.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Which included feedback on their body or behavior. Um, Most, this is a quote, most of the complaints were about the lack of harmony among the girlfriends or your lack of sexual participation in the parties he held in his bedroom. Despite the fact that it is well documented that he, on purpose turned the girls against each other like day-to-day life would be like oh she has a better body than you oh she works harder than you oh she's nicer than you but then would make those girls engage in sexual acts in front of him like he would like get them and some twisted shit, it's right some twist shit right and then to get their thousand dollars they had to go visit him and literally and this is not like oh they had to put out his hand he made them hold out their hand and he would count 10 $100 bills a oh, week into man. their palm oh. after telling them, like, how shitty they looked and how, like, the group sex, quailuted up group sex lacked enthusiasm. Those are the women he loved. You want to talk about the women that he was not so close to?
1: Let's.
0: All right. Content warning. We're going to talk about sexual assault. Um, So if you're sensitive to that, skip ahead five minutes. But um, want to make sure people who are listening are fully prepped. Have enough time to fast forward. It's very well documented that Hugh Hefner sexually assaulted a whole bunch of women and facilitated the sexual assault of many, many other women. Um, A few of those most famous assaults were committed against playmate Dorothy Stratton and the adult film star Linda Lovelace. Um, He forced himself on Dorothy Stratton, who ended up then Marrying an abusive man for protection because there was like a whole bunch of other stuff that went down with Playboy the brand and this like whirlwind lifestyle. That man ended up killing her. Wait, what? Yes, um, because he got jealous. Linda Lovelace wrote in her biography that Hugh Hefner gave her drugs and said that Hefner sodomized her and attempted to make her have sex with a dog. What? What? Have not actually read the biography, autobiography, but um, that's part of it.
1: It's just dark. What the hell? Yeah.
0: And Hefner's, Hugh Hefner's um, response to that was like, actually, I'm a very shy person, so I would never force anybody to do anything. Have you met me? I'm very shy.
1: Yeah, I'm not sold.
0: Yeah, it's not great. Um, Also, you know, those thigh openers that he gave his girlfriends? Yes. Yeah, he also gave them to Bill Cosby, who then gave them to many women he raped at um, allegedly raped.
1: No, no, not allegedly. Convicted. Convicted, convicted rapist. rapist yes. Bill Cosby.
0: Just not trying to get sued because Cosby's still alive. Hugh Hefner's not. Sure. So, so let's
1: so let's say this. Convicted in the legal system.
0: Convicted rapist Bill Cosby was given quaaludes, and uh, many people, including one of those victims, a woman named Chloe Goines, claimed that Cosby raped her at the Playboy Mansion in 2008 and conspired with Hefner to make it happen. Uh, and then when Cosby was arraigned and on trial, Hugh was like very concerned about the treatment that Cosby was getting, saying like he didn't believe it was true and this was a good man and his friend, oh, blah, blah, blah. Gross. There are many, many more accounts of that. But because of Hefner's influence in the media, in journalistic circles, a lot of the stories have been suppressed. So you have to actually go find the legal documentation to show that these... Cases were brought before a judge, and I don't want to make assertions about his guilt, but what I can say he is- He was like,
1: never convicted in a court of law.
0: It didn't happen once, though, and mm-hmm. very similar stories from a lot of people. Yeah. Anyway-
1: He never admitted it on tape. He did not. Like our president.
0: Um, and then he died in 2017 at the age of 91. At the time, he was married to his most recent head girlfriend, girlfriend number one. Her name's Crystal. She was 31 when he died. He wow. was 91. A lot of effusive praise was sung about him being this like forward-thinking media liberal who ushered in all of these great things. Um, but there were also a ton, like I said, of articles that talked about the real Hugh Hefner, who did all of those things so that... He could profit from them, not because he actually cared about women. Yes. And for those reasons, he is not my hero.
1: I think he had the foresight to die prior to the Harvey Weinstein come up. Sure. Because yeah. it does not sound like this man would have withstood a second look in the era of re-examining what people actually did to women in their lives.
0: I mean, yeah, he died just like a month or two before the Ronan Farrow article, right? Because he died on Lil Wayne's birthday, September 27th. Um, another hero and (laughs) (laughs) i think like the me too movement like really took off in late 2017 right
1: yeah and granted uh, for all of the right reasons focused on men currently in positions of authority for the mm -hmm. most part yeah but spared him this look
0: it did he also really hid behind all of these quote-unquote positive things that he did for women
1: when it sounds like a lot of them were mostly for his own gratification
0: yes while a lot of the the changes that were ushered in probably would have been ushered in without him and were necessary they should not have happened for the profit of just some dude from chicago
1: yeah if our listeners are looking to let everyone know how much they've enjoyed this podcast about sexual rabbits where should they go
0: right provide direct support to the people producing the content they should go yes. to our social media pages. Mm-hmm. They should like them. They should share this podcast. So that's at Your Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And they should subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. And they should encourage their friends to subscribe.
1: Yes. Rate, review, and until next time, don't be a hero.
0: Do not be a hero. Bye.